You're listening to Images Podcast. I am Joseph J. Erdo. A few years ago, I had the pleasure of speaking with war correspondent Robert L. Cunningham, who, having spent six years documenting combat operations in Afghanistan, teamed up with author Stephen Hartov to publish Afghanistan on the Bounce, a photographic examination of the life of deployed U.S. service members. Today, I am pleased to present a portion of that discussion, which took place on Breakthrough Entertainment, a local talk radio show for which I served as producer and co-host alongside Dave Isaac. Right now in studio, we have war correspondent Robert L. Cunningham. This great book, Afghanistan on the Bounce, filled with just fascinating photos. Thank you so much for joining us, Robert. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. So, you know, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you, you've got an interesting story as to, you know, uh, why you're a war correspondent. You know, I uh, had many friends of mine who had served in the military, and I myself was uh, not actively allowed to due to uh, I have fibromyalgia and it's beyond the waverable limits. And so uh, after trying multiple times, I finally, uh, you know, took the hint and didn't uh, didn't get in. And uh, a couple of friends of mine would sit around. We would talk about uh, what life was like for them over in Afghanistan. Then we'd sit and watch the media and what we saw, you know, on, on CNN, Fox News, NBC, you know, any of them, you know, was very different than and was just only a small sliver of what life was like for our guys over there. So my friends would come home and, and people would thank them for their service. But really, most people had no idea what they had done. And so uh, the idea of going over and showing the realities uh, came up and off we went. Absolutely, and you know, just a yeah, wonderful book. Uh, it's it's uh, is it already out or is it coming out? In the it's next already week? out. Now. It's already out. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. So people can get it on Amazon, Amazon, and Barnes and Noble, or AfghanistanBook.com as well. Great. Again, uh, before we get any further, Afghanistan on the bounce. Look for it. Yeah, this is. Uh, I'm just looking through it. It's amazing these uh, pictures, and and I'm sure this says one thing. But living in where you were in Afghanistan. Uh, Probably, um, I mean, there, there's that gives it an added dimension uh, of fear. I mean, you can look at some of these pictures, and uh, they're amazing, the shots you take. But what did you personally go through? Did you have any fear as you were in uh, risky, obviously, locations? You know, anyone who says they've gone to Afghanistan and wasn't afraid is uh, is either a liar on either they didn't go or they were terrified. Oh, you know, yeah. it's just one of those things of, you know, when you go there, uh, and you're, especially when I was I was there in fighting season with the, the infantry. I mean, they were going outside the wire. You know, we were going outside the wire on missions every day, you know, and it's uh, it was certainly had some uh, trepidation. Some of the bases I went to were rather small ones, little outposts with only 100 men or so that, you know, very easily could have been overrun, and some of them had been in the past before I'd gotten there and some since even. And so there's certainly that sense of, you know, living every day to its fullest because you never know if uh, this is going to be the last sunrise you see. You know, and the people of Afghanistan, I I heard basically they're really very kind. Uh, uh, A lot of the tribes, uh, you know, there was a movie. What was that movie where um, Mark Wahlberg was in where they he was the only survivor. I think it was called Survivor. Survivor. And uh, and that and and the tribe, the community, the, the village protected them because it's a custom and they went against the taliban uh did you find that too it's like they're you know what type of people did you meet yeah we're talking about is the uh, what's called the pashtun wali or their code uh that the pashtun uh, tribe tribesmen have uh in in my experiences over there you know from children up until about you know 14 15 years old they were they were very kind and then you know from about uh, 30 onward up uh, in age uh they they loved us you know but it's that middle uh area there that were, was the most hazard to us because is you know uh, they're old enough to remember what what life was like before the the US occupation had had occurred there and you know the 
kind of cutting their teeth just as much as our teenagers go do things that, uh, you know, go against what our society should say. You know, it's the same way over there. Now, were you ever caught in a firefight? We, we had quite a few uh, situations over the time. I mean, being with the 1st Infantry Division the first time, uh, the 101st, the, the last time, which was the third time I went. And in the second time, you know, uh, it was a little quieter. It was outside of fighting season. But the, for the two times I was there during, you know, uh, fighting season and such like that, yeah, we, we had, uh, it was a regular occurrence. Is there, I mean, what's your sense? Uh, it's a war-torn country for sure. Then you have the Taliban hanging around still, and they're, uh, well, they're known to be so, somewhat brutal, of course. But uh, what's your sense? Is there any hope there at all? Or are people just day by day, It's it could be their last day, and they just don't think of the future, and they just try to survive? What, what's your sense of the, the culture out there? You know, it's, it's one of those things that I asked uh, an Afghan uh, that I had the, the pleasure of working with, this older gentleman that's pictured in the book. And uh, I asked uh, through my interpreter while the military was kind of away, and I was just kind of the interpreter myself and, and the uh, the village elder. I asked him if he considered the U.S. presence there as a positive or a negative, and I was quite surprised by his response. He said, you know, many years ago, the uh, the Russians, they come to our country, they kill who they think is bad, they arrest who they think is bad. <coughs> Excuse me, and they... Um, you know, they destroy our buildings, they rebuild our buildings, then they go to our markets, and then uh, they buy from our markets, and then they leave. And he goes, and, and now here the U.S. has come, they've arrested who they think is bad, they kill who they think is bad, they've destroyed our buildings, now they've rebuilt our buildings, and now you come to our markets, and here soon you will leave as well. And uh, it leaves me only to wonder, who comes next to my market? Interesting. That Tragic. I mean, uh, it's just a sad statement that uh, people that occupy sort of look the same, no matter what country it is. And I guess the purpose might be different, maybe the intention, right? Uh, do you, yeah. Could be the, the key. But the general public isn't going to know one's intention, I mean, uh, generally speaking. Or would you think they do know? Well, based on that story, they don't know. It was it was certainly conveyed to us that uh, by some of the people who had lived there under the Ru- Russian occupations and such like that that we're uh, that the U.S. occupation there, or however you want to word it, politically correct. Excuse me if I'm not being politically correct. Uh, it's it, it was a far nicer and safer environment under the United States than, than than during the Russians, but it still presented a problem. I mean, it was more likely that the attacks would go against U.S. forces rather than the locals, and, and uh, the U.S. didn't do retribution. It's not like we went into a village and, you know, would would take innocent life just to, to respond to that, whereas some other occupiers in the past of Afghanistan have done that. Wow. Well, you know, this this book is amazing. Well, it, it takes you right in there. Yeah. I mean, because I like how it's laid out with, with uh, various, um, I, I can't think of the word, uh, but subjects, um, you know, different areas. And, uh, you, of course, you've got the personal security, so you, you uh, blocked out some, uh, some features of some of the soldiers, which is very important. And then you've got these little inserts, which are, you know, tell us about some of those inserts. What, what, what would you say your favorite insert is? Well, real quick, the, uh, the part that's blocked out is actually our interpreters. Oh, okay. uh, so it's the personal security of our interpreters because our interpreters, they uh, they help us. And, uh, I mean, we can't do our job without them. And the difference is, you know, after whatever period of time of our soldiers' deployment, they come home. The interpreters are left there in the country. Oh. And so oftentimes the interpreters are subject to uh, being killed or, or otherwise uh, because of their assistance to us. So when, when their unit that they've worked with for a year leaves, suddenly the man goes back to his home and, you know, one of his family members or friends kills him for assisting the United States mm-hmm. in their thing. Wow. So, so for the safety of our uh, our interpreters we we block those out as far as the ephemera that goes in there uh, some of the kind of different removable things there's one or two removable things but most of them are made to be 
be staying there. But the, you know, I get a kick out of the uh, the combat kit section was one of my favorites. You know, uh, as it kind of goes from a soldier being in his in his PT uniform, uh, physical training uniform, all the way up to the full gear, and you, you get this picture of you know you always see the soldier kitted up, but you don't see the layers in between them, and you don't realize just how heavy. I mean, in, in this picture, the man's carrying a, a very heavy uh, backpack, somewhere in excess of 60 pounds just in the backpack alone. That's not counting the armor. I mean, many times these guys are carrying 130, 140 pounds worth of gear on their body, uh, as well as you know having to move themselves up, you know different terrains and such like that so just kind of give a, a, a breakdown of what their uh what, what our soldiers are carrying every day when they go outside and i think that's you know pretty fair of the whole book um that, that it takes you deeper inside of uh afghanistan and, and just the life of, of a soldier um it, 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 we we like you said we we see a picture and we we think we have an idea but here you've really uh dove into um the life of of our our uh, men and women out there, which is fascinating. I had the great help of uh, Stephen Hartov, who was a New York Times bestselling author for some military uh, publications, uh, as well to to work with this. But when we set out on this project, the first thing that we said is we wanted to make sure that this book had no politics in it. It's not a right wing book. It's not a left wing book. It's not a pro military book. It's not an anti military book. There's not a bit of politics you'll find anywhere in the, in there. And we had uh, outside reviewers that were friends that have various different opinions that differ from our own that reviewed the book extensively with a fine-tooth comb to make sure that there was there was no politics. It's not a right-wing or left-wing book. Mm-hmm. It's just a simple understanding what life is like for them. And so when you go into it with whatever opinion you have, you come out educated on the other side. It's not a it's not a persuasive thing. It's not a it's not a piece of propaganda. Oh, and and when you took these pictures uh uh were they cooperative, or it's just random pictures you were taking? Well, you know, the U.S. military, I was uh, being embedded with them formally, gave me uh, documentation that, you know, for lack of better terminology, the military guys didn't have much of a choice. They had to uh, allow me to photograph them. And uh, so when you first show up there, you know, you're, you're kind of treated as an enemy in the camp because, you know, they don't know who you are. They don't don't know anything about you, but yet their commanders have come down and said, you got to let this guy interview you and take pictures of you. And so there's this, you know, fear that comes with with the first interaction between myself and them and then we had to kind of get to know each other and and test the waters with each other and so there were certain people that uh, are in the book that were uh you know kind of a hard nut to crack and then other ones were were, were simple i mean uh so it just depends and then obviously the locals uh there we have i worked with many photographers and other people and sometimes the the they have two mentalities it's either the i'm going to ask for permission from the, the local to photograph them or i'm just going to do whatever you know i want and uh, i'm very much in the camp of i'm going to ask permission i'm going to i'm going to get their attention and get get their consent to it just the same way as I would here in the United States. And do you have to get a permission uh, from the government to uh, show these pictures and include them in the book or? You know, it was actually one of the most fascinating. That's, that's a very good question that I've never been really asked. So, so here's your exclusive interview on that part. (laughs) You know, the interesting thing about that is the military refused to look at the book. Really? They refused to look at my pictures. They refused to look at anything of it. Every the commands I was with, I tried to show them the pictures right then and there. They refused. They said, we don't want to see them. We don't want to see what you're writing. We don't want to know a bit about it. Because if, if we look at your book, if we look at your pictures, if we give you any any input, it, we can be accused of affecting the media or censoring. And we consider free speech 
to be whatever, you know, one of the highest things that we have. And so we refuse categorically to look at the book. Uh, they said, you know, we do request that if you see something in there that you think is classified, please don't publish it mm-hmm. And uh, for the safety of our guys. And I said, well, that's great, but how do I know it's classified? They said, you don't. You publish it. We arrest you and, you know, we'll charge you there. <laughs> oh, and he said, <laughs> he said it as a joke. But, you know, there was this was a very big uphill battle that we had to make sure that, you know, the military was adamant. They did not want to know a thing about the book or have anything to do with the process of selection or, or otherwise. They gave gave me no input. There was never a command that sat. I never did an interview with somebody where there was a man sitting next to him going, you know, can I say this to the guy? It was never like that. It's, it's, I had the range to do whatever I wanted to do just to show the reality of it. And then in the end, you know, uh, they could complain if they wanted to, or they could not. Yeah, great message for Independence Day. Freedom, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, freedom of speech. And yeah. uh, of course, uh, there's a nice scene in here at, it looks like a uh, a church, and it on page, oh, I don't know what page that is, but uh, it says Wartime Prayer Book, uh, Fulton Sheen's Wartime Prayer Book, and uh, sort of cool, really good pictures of this, and is that something you see a lot of? I mean, is the military going to uh, services as much as they can, uh, or is this something unique? This is actually, you know, on page 124 of the book you're looking at, uh, a personal soldier's carry, and, the, and that book was actually a, a, a historical book as well as, you know, not it's not a current-like thing. The military, you know, again, keeps it very separate. The idea of the chaplain is one of the most m- misconstrued jobs in the military. The job of the chaplain is not to... Uh, to convert somebody or to, to preach them, it's their job is to make sure that whatever religion is there is protected. And I, I witness chaplains have to handle, you know, and go with people of, of the Wiccan faith and otherwise, and go to defense for the Wiccan faith. When you have a, it's it's interesting to watch a Catholic pa- uh, priest go and defend the Wiccan faith to a commander. But the job of a chaplain is to make sure that all service members can perform their religious acts or, you know, uh, have that religious freedom, even if their choice of religion is no religion in, in atheism or such. If, if anybody in the military feels that their personal beliefs or religious views are being uh, ignored or not respected, the chaplain's job is to be the advocate to the command to make sure that that does not occur, regardless of what the personal beliefs are. It's a pretty fascinating uh, thing to follow. Well, that's, that's absolutely amazing. Uh, I, I'm well, I don't. You know, they, it sounds like the military really is very conscious of their intention of what they're really fighting for is freedom for everyone. You know, right now we see a lot, like in New York, we were seeing some uh, flag burning uh, events and these things like that. And you know, I sit and I talk to the service members about that, and I said, "Doesn't that you know just fan your fires?" And you know, one of the guys said, "He goes, you know, the reality is, is we fought to wear the uniform and wear the flag." When we fought to give them the freedom to do whatever they want, and I had one soldier. He goes, "I don't like it when they do it." But, you know, the reality is there are countries around the world where speaking ill of the government or speaking, you know, ill or, or disrespecting a flag would get you arrested or put in prison for, for life or if not put to death. And he goes, so what a great country we live in where they have the right and the choice to do what they want. I respectfully ask that they don't. But it's a great thing to, to know that the freedoms there. I fought for the freedom to fly the flag as much as I fought for freedom to burn it if that's what they choose to do. Is, it, is that the attitude of most military personnel, do you believe? Uh, it it depends. I mean, you know, I've met a lot of military guys that if they catch you burning a flag, you know, it's going to go to blows, yeah. you know, and yeah. because the well, Americans... putting their life on the line. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I bet I, you could sort of see both sides in a way, you know, if you're going to have freedom, you got to have freedom on both sides, right? The yeah. freedom to do or not. But, but then out of respect, I don't know, you know, if you're in the military and you're putting your life on the line to protect virtually the, the, the meaning of the flag, I, it, it would be 
hard not to be a little bit upset, right? Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the carrying once you've walked in a foreign country carrying the flag on your armor, you know, and you've been shot at because of that flag, you know, there's there's a deep respect you have for that. Oh, absolutely. You know, but one of the things that I see right now, and this is more on the personal Robert Cunningham side, not the side of the project or anything, but you know, I it, the advantage is, you know, we live in a country where we're we're you know, at liberty to be offended by things, and we're at liberty to offend each other. And right now I, I see in the news it's kind of getting to where we're not being as a tolerant of offending each other. And I think that we should be just as tolerant of offending somebody. If somebody has a viewpoint that's different, that's your own, you should you should be able to offend each other. You should be able to go to go to town on each other to try to understand each other rather than feeling like you have to hold back your opinions, your viewpoints. And that's, sorry, that's getting on my little tangent yeah. there, but I, I feel that makes sense. most of these soldiers I've worked with, they are all about making sure that uh, the freedom of speech, making sure that, you know, all of the the freedoms that are, are given to us already, not by the government, but by, by being human, and then right. are, are insured and specifically laid out in the Constitution or other things like that, you know, they're very adamant to make sure that those are, are taken care of and respected. Do they, do the military personnel think, uh, maybe I'm getting a little off topic, but I am curious, that they're not as respected by the general population or maybe the fact that they don't seem to get the benefits after they come back, they're injured or whatever, from the political system. You know, it's it's that's a, that's a hard thing to answer because, I mean, obviously the military is full of the same diversities that, that the American public is at as, as large. It's just in, in a microchasm of it. And I think that, it, honestly, there's, some, there's certainly some things that need to be fixed on how our vets are taken care of. Yeah. You know, but I think the biggest problem that our vets go through when they come home is, is the feeling of isolation because so many people don't understand what they do. They don't understand their job. They don't understand anything about it. And so you can sit in a room full of people and they ask you a question about what you did over there and, and nobody has a foundational understanding of it. And it leaves a person very isolated. And when you become in the place where you're alone and isolated, even in a crowded room, without having other people that you can share that burden with other battle buddies or other people you can reach out to that, that understand it, you become very isolated. And I think that that what leads to the, the, the isolation, I think, and the, the lack of people's understanding and communicating, I think, is what leads to what, unfortunately, we're suffering now. About 22 uh, veterans commit suicide every day right now. And that's just wrong. And, and I think that the major cause of that is a, is a disconnected communication. I think that if we can reach out to our vets and understand what their life is like a little bit better, understand what how to act around a veteran, and you know, there's certain questions you should never ask a vet, but we don't think about that as civilians. And you know, You'd never think that certain questions would be offensive, and then you find out that they are. And so getting an understanding and getting a, a, the lines of communication open between the civilians and the military so we can understand what their job is. I mean, if I came to you right now and I said, I, I work in sanitation. Well, you understand that I, I clean up trash, but you don't know what my daily life is like. And it's no different with the military. If I tell you I work in the military, it's hard for us to know without listening to them and getting a, a base understanding of it. Now, we have a, just a few more minutes in this segment, uh, but uh, I want to remind our listeners we are speaking with war correspondent Robert L. Cunningham about his book, Afghanistan on the Bounce. You can get it uh, at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, uh, wherever books are sold. What's the website again that you said? Afghanistanbook.com. Afghanistanbook.com. Um, Robert, uh, what would you say that this project has taught you about yourself? Uh, it's It's very polarizing in my life, you know, because uh, in after going through Afghanistan three times, you know, um, you learned where to pick your battles. You learned what's important. You learned that, you know, if, if uh, you, you didn't get a good 
you know, score on your exam. That's not something to get irate and angry about, you know, but you, you learn what I like to tell people is you, you learn about life, limb, and eyesight. And if it's a threat to your life, your limbs, or your eyesight, it's something that needs to be met, you know, met with an immediate, fast response. But everything else, you can take a minute to take a breath. And with, with that breath that you can take to think about what your responses are, there's certain battles that are worth fighting. And, and I do believe that what we were doing in Afghanistan is worth fighting. But but there are certain battles in our own personal life that's worth fighting and certain battles that aren't. And so I think that uh, if we can start choosing what's worth getting in a fight over and what's not worth getting in a fight over, it would, uh, again, open the lines of communication between each other. Right. And uh, are you doing anything for uh, Independence Day? Anything special? Fourth of July. Yeah, we're going to be hanging out with some of my friends. We're going to go see some fireworks together, which has always been, you know, I did that prior to Afghanistan and then coming back. I mean, the you listen to it and you, you listen to the national anthem, you listen to the, the songs of our country and you realize, you know, when it says when bombs bursting in air, mm-hmm. you know, that feeling, that boom when, when a firework goes off means something very different to somebody who's been shot at than somebody who's never um, experienced that. So I I like getting to go and hang out with my friends on, on, on that, and I like to be able to visually with my eyes see the uh, fireworks. That's great. That's great. And uh, well, once again, uh, war correspondent Robert L. Cunningham, Afghanistan on the Bounce. It's a wonderful book. Don't you agree, Dave? There's no doubt. These I- pictures are fantastic, and you took all these photos, huh? Yes, all except for the last couple pages where there are pictures of me that I grabbed a soldier and said, here, take yeah. a picture of me. <laughs> this is really good. I think... Uh, People should get out there now and get this this book. It's Afghanistanbook.com. Uh, yeah, it'll give new meaning. Uh, you know, we take so much for granted right out here, and we don't realize really what's going on in other countries. And uh, I think if we went there ourselves and walked a mile in other people's shoes, we would come back totally different. Absolutely.